Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And I'm so glad that you're here today, especially this weekend, as we start the first series of the new year. Um, I believe it's extremely important for us to study this particular subject that I'm going to be talking about today and all throughout this month, specific foundational beliefs that we need to make sure that we understand 100% biblically, scripturally accurate because they, especially today, what we're dealing with, we're talking about the topic of salvation. This is one of the topics we cannot afford to get wrong. Because your eternal destination, my eternal destination, where you and I end up spending all of eternity is going to be dependent upon what we believe about this topic today. It's not something we can afford to have marginal beliefs about. There's other things in the Word of God you can choose to believe, not to believe. They're not going to affect where you spend eternity. However, this particular subject, we need to make sure that we're all on the same page, that all of us understand scripturally what God requires, what God has laid out, what is his plan, how is he going to get us back into relationship with himself as he has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many different people, many different philosophies about this. People have a tendency when it comes to salvation to want to hold on to some specific personal set of beliefs. Now, that's fine when those set of beliefs line up with what the Bible says. But when they're contrary to the Bible, you cannot afford to hold on to something because this is the way I was raised. This was No, you have to cling to. You have to hold on to. You have to grab a hold of. You have got to make your own what the Bible says about salvation. Okay, you can't afford to get this one wrong. Amen? Amen? So I want to start out with a particular incident that took place in the life of Paul. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. Um, I have quite a few scriptures to read. I want you to stick with me. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 16. If not, you can look on your phone, get your Bible app on your phone, or look at the screens. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. This is recorded by Luke, uh, who wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was also the one that wrote the book of Acts. He was present for this particular uh, incident and wrote, as we'll see. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now, mind you, watch this here. Did you see what we just read? This was a girl who had a spirit who enabled her to tell the future. She, did not, she was not able to tell the future. It was a spirit that was attached to her that gave her the ability to tell the future. Okay, I could spend a lot of time on that, but I, I don't want to for the sake of time. All right, she earned a lot of money for her masters. Obviously, she was owned by individuals who were exploiting the situation that she was in, the disability that she had by this evil spirit to tell the future. They made money off of her, okay? She followed Paul and the rest of us around shouting, these are men, these men are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved, okay? Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, notice he spoke to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, and it instantly left her. Now when the spirit left her, her ability to tell the future left her. So now, these people are out of income, all right? So her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. 
They are teaching customs that are illegal for us as Romans to practice. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, which would be about two or three floors underground, and clamped their feet in socks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, which is what exactly you and I would be doing if we were in jail. Backs beaten open, tied in the stocks. Yeah, because that's what you do. Now watch this. I'm going to read this again, but I want you to pay attention to what it says here. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now if the other prisoners were listening, that means they were singing loud enough. They were not ashamed. They were not holding back. But the important thing is that along with the prisoners who were listening, so was the jailer. And suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, we know this is not a natural earthquake. A natural earthquake might cause the jail cells to open, but a natural earthquake would not cause the chains to fall from the prisoner's arms and from their wrists. Verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, the reason he would do that is because under Roman law, the jailer was held responsible for those who would escape with his own life. Okay? So, verse 28, Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Verse 30, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is the question that we're dealing with here. What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you, and you, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now I want to stop here because some of us that have grown up over the years in Christianity, and I remember in the early years when I became a Christian, what was the customary thing back then to say? Well, you know, uh, if you get saved, then your whole household will be saved, based on the scripture. However, look at the next verse. And they shared the word, with the, Lord, the word of the Lord with him, the jailer, and with all who lived in his household. So obviously this man took them back to his house. Now, they got saved because they heard the same gospel that the jailer heard. Your family's not gonna automatically come in because you got born again, because you became a Christian. Don't make that mistake. And some people I've seen have. Everybody has to hear the gospel for themselves. Everyone may, must make the choice for themselves. I want you to understand that clearly. Okay. So what do we have here? The question, the key question in this, in this portion of scripture comes from the mouth of the jailer. What must I do to be what? Saved. Saved. I remember many years ago, in the first year or two when I was a Christian, when I became a Christian, at this point, I was 33 years now. One of the first individuals that I went to talk to about Jesus and about the gospel and about salvation, and I, you know, in my rawness, they said, you don't understand, you gotta get born again, you gotta go to hell. You gotta get saved. And the person very honestly, and, and, we're, and we as Christians are not used to honest questions, very honestly said, Saved from what? What do we need to be saved from what? I don't understand. Now, we don't like honest questions because we expect people to know already what we're talking about. 
Are you equipped to answer that question? Think about it. Saved from what? Saved from what? You say, we're saved from hell. Well, yeah. But there's something that causes and that has permitted human beings to come into hell. Because remember, the scripture tells us that hell was not created for man. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Something happened that allowed human beings now to be able to access a place that was not created for us, and that something was sin. Sin came into this world through Adam and Eve, through their disobedience, through their rebellion against God. And that sin has clung to us in every generation since that time. Sin that brought death into this world. Sin brought spiritual death into the human experience. You and I were not created to experience death. It was not God's original plan. God's original plan is that you and I, as, as, as humans created by him, created his image and likeness, we're supposed to live forever. We're supposed to have everlasting life. You remember the Bible in Genesis tells us that God created us in his likeness and in his image, right? In his likeness and in his image. We're supposed to be a reflection of him. We're supposed to be like a, a duplication. Well, he is eternal. Are you listening to me? So then, if we're creating his image and his likeness and he lives forever, we were supposed to live forever also. Death was not supposed to be part of our experience, yet it was allowed to come in. And because it was allowed to come in, you and I experienced physical death because spiritual death was allowed to come into this world, to come into our experience. Spiritual death is the issue. We'll see it as we go along. I'm gonna ask you this question, I want you to, 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 don't answer it out loud, but I want you to just kind of like ponder it on the inside. What was the main point of Jesus' mission to come here to the earth? What was the climax of the victory of Christ on earth? Now some people would say, well Jesus came to church to go to the cross, to die for our sins, and blah, blah. yeah, and that's true. But that wasn't the climax. That was not the high point. The high point of Jesus' mission to this earth was the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible tells us that he was raised from the dead for our justification. You'll get it as we go along. If the resurrection was the main point of Jesus' mission, and it was, then it must mean that the resurrection was supposed to do something that could not be done before. It means that the resurrection was meant to undo something that was done that was never supposed to happen to begin with, and that is death. You see, if Jesus had died on the cross for our sins, and just died on the cross for our sins, and not raised from the dead, he could not have undone the spiritual death that was brought into this world when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Are you listening? He could have died on the cross. Many sacrifices were, were slain at that altar in Jerusalem. But not one of them ever got up and walked again. They covered the sin, but they didn't undo spiritual death. That's why people's lives never change. No matter how many lambs, no matter how many goats, no how many animals, no matter how many turtle doves, no matter, no matter how many animals, no matter how much blood was shed in that temple, a person never walked away born again. You walked away with your sins covered for one year, but it never transformed a person's heart. Why? Because a person's heart is transformed when you and I are raised from the dead spiritually. When we go from a spiritually dead 
position to a spiritually alive position. I want you to get this. You do not step into eternal life when you breathe your last breath. You step into eternal life when you say what you believe in your heart with your mouth. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe he died and paid for my sins. I believe that my sins are forgiven now. And what happens? That's when you step into eternal life. In fact, it has to happen here because if you think it's going to happen after you die, after you die is too late. It's already settled forever. Let me put it to you this way, and we get back into some scriptures here. When you're born into this earth, you are born into everlasting death. You're already on your way to hell. See, we have this idea that a person goes to hell because of their bad conduct. You know, you automatically assume Hitler went to hell because of the way of all the war crimes and everything that he did. That, that has nothing to do with it. A person goes to hell because they are spiritually dead. And that's where spiritually dead people go. A person goes to heaven, not because they, well, you know, that person, you know, my grandmother was such an awesome lady and she was so generous and she always cared about us. Oh, I'm sure she's got a place in heaven. Well, I hope you're right. But a person doesn't go to heaven because they're a sweet little grandma that knew how to make cookies, the favorite ones you wanted. And a person goes to heaven because they're spiritually alive because in heaven is only there for spiritually alive individuals. Are you catching this? This is why this subject is so important today. I want to make sure that we kick off this new year and we're all on the same page, that you understand salvation. Because I suspect, and please, 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 please listen to, listen to what I'm about to say with my heart, from my heart, please. I do not want this teaching to come out as, as condemning. I do not want this teaching to come out. I, my purpose today and this weekend is not to undermine your security and your salvation. My goal this weekend is to make sure that you understand biblical salvation and you have experienced it. So I'm asking you this question that only you can answer within yourself. Are you spiritually alive? Have you experienced spiritual resurrection? Because that is what's going to determine where you spend eternity. Are you getting this? This is extremely important. You can't get this one wrong. You can have your own marginal beliefs about other areas of the Bible, whether you believe in, in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you don't, or whether you believe in what type of baptism, whether you're supposed to be immersed or sprinkled or dumped on, I don't know, whatever. Those things you can afford to get wrong, this one you can't afford to get wrong. Because this one determines your eternity. Have you experienced the resurrection from spiritual death? We see in, in the book of Genesis, in the garden, with the garden is like the prototype. This is like the, the very first of many. This is what life is supposed to be like. We don't see death. There's no, death was not supposed to be part of that experience. We don't see disease. We don't see sickness. We don't see poverty. We don't see depression. We don't see any of the things that mankind has suffered for a thousand years. We don't see it in the garden. So if we don't see it in the garden, that means it was never part of God's original plan. It was permitted to come in. Sin was allowed to come in by man. Not God, not the devil, mankind. When Adam and Eve decided they were going to rebel against God and they were going to put more trust and more faith in what the devil had to say than what God had to say, at that moment, they went from life to death. We are born into this world already spiritually dead. Yeah, you were a baby, you kicked around, your parents, you know, you had, they had to change your diaper and all that kind of stuff, and you were very much alive physically but our spirit is dead. 
It needs to be reconnected to the Father in heaven. How do we do that? Jesus said it this way, you must be born again. Are you getting this? Okay. So, now, you're gonna see, and I'm gonna show you some scriptures, and I, you know, it's impossible for me to have gone through all of this today. I may repeat and review some of this next week, but you will see a common thread in the New Testament. I did not realize how strong this thread was until I started studying for this series. Throughout the New Testament, you see one common theme constantly. The gospel is always associated with the resurrection. Very different from the church today. Today, we talk a lot about the cross, we want to, well, why did Jesus come to the earth? And mostly when I asked that question before, I'll guarantee you that the majority of you said, well, he came to, to die on the cross. Yeah, he did. He did, but that's not all he came for. You see constantly this theme of resurrection, 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 resurrection. Paul especially constantly connects the gospel with the resurrection. Now, the early church suffered persecution not because they claimed that Jesus was the Messiah and not because they claimed that Jesus was the son of God. They suffered persecution because they claimed that Jesus rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 17, is standing in an area in Athens that you can go to today, it's still there. It was this marketplace where all the intellectuals, all the brainiacs of that age would assemble there just to hear new ideas and entertain philosophies and all this stuff, and here comes Paul. And Paul begins to preach, this, preach the gospel. And they didn't have any problem with talking with this Jewish king and they didn't have any problem with this Jewish Messiah. But then he said this, that God used to wink at some things, but now God is calling everyone to repentance and he calls them to repentance through a man who he raised from the dead. And the Bible says, if you go read that portion of scripture in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says when he got and he mentioned the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked him and others said, oh, we'll, we'll hear you again about this. Did you ever get blown off like that when you've talked to somebody about Jesus? Oh, you know what, I'm really glad that you found this and so, you know, maybe someday we'll talk about this again. What is it? You're getting blown off. Why? Because of the resurrection. There's something about when we talk. Now, see, now, you don't talk about the resurrection too much. Now, in a couple months from now, Easter's early this year. We'll talk maybe two weeks before we'll start talking about the resurrection. Maybe a couple days later we'll talk about the resurrection. And then what you do is the same thing you just did with all your Christmas decorations. What did you do the other day when you were snowed in? You took all the Christmas decorations down. And what did you do? You packed them in boxes. You put them in your garage. Yes or no? That's the same thing we usually do with the topic of resurrection. We don't realize how central it is because this is the fact that's gonna determine where you spend eternity. Are you spiritually alive or are you still spiritually dead? You see, when sin came into the world, it brought death. Jesus came into the world, he brought life. Mankind chose sin and therefore brought death into it into this world. You and I, mankind, have also got to choose. To reverse that, we've got to choose Jesus in order to bring life back into your being. Are you catching this? Listen, please receive this with some level of maturity today. This is not about whether you're a drunk or whether you're sober. This is not about whether you're a liar or you're an honest person. This is not about whether you're rude or all of a sudden you become polite. This is a matter of are you dead or are you alive? Because well, we have this tendency to think, you know what, you know, I'm going to church now, so you know, I've turned a new leaf on life. You can go to AA and turn a new leaf on life. You can go to self-help clinic and, and, and turn a new leaf on life. That doesn't make you eligible for heaven. 
Are you catching this? Look, I'll prove it to you. How many, don't raise your hand, don't look at anybody, don't point. How many of you have somebody who was thoroughly born again, they have the Holy Ghost living inside them, they're going to heaven, and they are rude and they are not nice? What does that mean? Now, how many of you, now we all know people like this. How many of you know people that are very moral, high character, generous, hardworking, really care about their fellow man, but don't want nothing to do with Jesus? So what does it tell us? That conduct is not a gauge to decide whether you're going to heaven. Well, you know, I go to church every week. You go to church every week. The chair sits here in church every week. It doesn't mean the chair is going to heaven. Are you catching this? Stop equating your conduct with where you're going to spend your eternity. My question is this. You could sit in church every day of the week and still be spiritually dead. It doesn't pour into, it doesn't go into you by osmosis. It, re it requires a decision on your part. Sin to come into the world required a decision on Adam and Eve's part. They made the decision, that's what brought it in. You, in turn, and I, in order to reverse that, have got to make a decision to receive Christ, to place our faith in him. You'll see it very clearly by the time we're done today. And based on that decision is the determination where you spend eternity. Again, have you experienced that spiritual resurrection? 1 John chapter 3, watch this, look at this. 1 John 3, verse 14. If we love our brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle John now. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from what? Come on, come on, come on. We have passed from what? Death to what? Life. It doesn't say we went from being rude to being nice. It doesn't say we went from being a drunk to being sober. It doesn't say we went from being a drug addict to being clean. It says we went from what? death to life. I'll never forget the first time I told somebody I was born again, they said, oh, were you a drug addict? Did you kill someone? I said, I had to kill someone to get born again? Because the world always assumes that you only come to this point in your life as a matter of complete desperation. John said, you pass from death to life and that is the evidence that you are qualified for heaven. Yet so many of us want to make the determination, our conduct, our personality. You know, I really changed since I'm coming to church. Yeah, well I changed when I went into bankruptcy too. There are certain things in life that'll change you. But are you, but are you changed spiritually? Is your spirit now alive unto God? Is your spirit connected to God by the Holy Spirit? That is the determining factor. Heaven is a place where spiritually alive people go. Hell is the place where spiritually dead people go. I'll never forget when uh, Bill Weiss was here. Some of you might remember Bill Weiss was here. Bill Weiss is a man, we need to bring him back again this year maybe. Uh, this gentleman had an experience, a supernatural experience. God allowed him to spend 23 minutes in hell. And it is the most terrifying thing. And most of the time, he doesn't talk about what, everything he experienced on the platform. We get to talk to him privately when he comes. And he said this, God, because he is love, 
created a place even for those who want nothing to do with him. Because you see, you're all, everybody lives forever. Every one of us, every one of us, every one of you in here lives forever. Nobody dies and ceases to exist. We're all eternal spirits. The determination is where you're gonna spend that. And so he said, and I was like, oh my God, I never realized it. He said, God, because he's love, had to create a place for those who want nothing to do with him to go. But those who want spiritual life, those who want to live forever instead of die forever, he created a place also. But that place, entrance into that place requires you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe that he's the one who went on your behalf because let's just be honest with each other. Can we, can we be brutally honest here today? Let me see your hands. Can I be brutally honest with you today? Are you gonna receive it and not be a baby, okay? You should have went to the cross. I should have went to the cross, not him. He didn't do anything wrong. He's the only one who lived on this earth and never sinned, never thought sin, never spoke sin, never conducted sin. Yet he is the one who went to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. You should have went, I should have went. My skull should have been pierced. My back should have been ripped open. My hand should have been nailed to wood, not his. He went on your behalf. And yet, here's the most miraculous thing about that level of love and commitment. He went willingly knowing that the majority of mankind who he suffered for would reject him. The emphasis in the New Testament is always death and life. It's our responsibility to make sure that we have experienced this resurrection from the dead. For a second Peter chapter one, verse 10, I wanna to read to you from the Amplified Version. Therefore believers, so who's this written to? Come on, come on, are you getting, who's this written to? Believers, written to us. Therefore believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you to be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms our relationship with God. Man, be sure, be sure, be sure. For by doing these things, actively developing these virtues, you will never stumble, you in your spiritual growth, and will live a life that launches now, that leads others away from sin. Do you see that last part there? You and I have the capability of living a life that's gonna lead someone away from sin. Let me ask you this question, based on everything we've just talked about. When I lead someone away from sin, what am I really leading them away from? Death. Death. And some of us are content to let people stay on the path to death. And we fool ourselves. And, and what's happening is this. When you do, I, I said this before. I forget what teaching it was, what it was. I said this. We should all, as believers, make it a common practice that the first thing you do whenever we meet a new individual, whenever some new person comes into our life, whether it's on the job or whatever, we should immediately tell them in a nice way. Don't get crazy. Don't get like bumper sticker crazy and T-shirt crazy. You should immediately find a way to tell them what you believe, where your heart is, who you're connected to. Because here's what's happened. Here's what happens. You go into this relationship. You don't want to tell them. You don't want them to think you're a weirdo. And then all of a sudden, they start accepting you for who you are. You start accepting them for who they are. I said, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? If you really love the person, you will come to the place where you can, in love, with respect, with dignity, let them know, listen, 
I want to share this with you. I really like you. I think you're a really cool person. You know, I really, you know, I, I, I love the idea that we have a friendship, we have a relationship building. But, but because I love you, I need you to know. I love you enough to risk the chance that you're not going to want to talk to me. Are you getting this? What we end up doing is this. We grow comfortable in that relationship, and then you get so far down the road, you go, I can't tell them now because they think I'm this type of person, whereas behind the scenes, I'm this type of person. And what did you do? You just negated an opportunity to lead them away from death and into life. I'm not saying get crazy, get in their face. Don't get like me when I first got born again. People would run. (laughs) But I didn't do it to be obnoxious. I did it because I genuinely loved, I was so taken back, I was so in awe of this experience and so, so completely just blown away by the love of God and the love of Jesus that I wanted everybody to know. Here's the other dangerous thing we do. We make believe everybody's okay. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, it's something like this. You have a conversation, and, and maybe you say, you know, so you might ask somebody, well, listen, is the rest of your family born again? The rest of your family saved? Do they believe in Jesus? Well, you know, not yet. And, you know, but, you know, they're nice people. And what has that got to do with it? What has nice people got to do with it? There's a lot of nice people in hell. By the same token, there's a lot of nasty people that are in heaven. They weren't blocked because they were nasty. They were allowed to come in because they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe they didn't have enough time to let that salvation from the inside work its way on the outside so they could become nice. So, so we'll do stuff like that. We'll avoid talking to individuals because in our mind we want to convince ourselves, well, they're okay. They're okay. I remember a while ago I asked somebody about an individual, a loved one that had passed away. Well, you know, do you have any, any evidence that they were born again? I mean, do, do you know if they're, well, you know, no, they never went to church and really never talked about Jesus. But, you know, they, talk, they mentioned God once in a while. Well, so does the devil. You know, and please, some of you are looking at me like, man, you're really harsh. No, I'm talking spiritual realities here. Please, I'll be truthful with you. I would rather you walk out of this place and hate my guts, but make the decision to, to listen and to, and to apply these principles and end up in heaven than for you to be my best friend and end up going to hell. Look, it's that real, church. It's that real. Jesus isn't coming back to preach the gospel. Jesus is not sending angels to preach the gospel. You know who he's sending? You. You're his only plan. There's a story about you know, when, you know, after the resurrection, ascension, Jesus comes back to, to heaven and the angels come around and go, well, how did it go? And you know, he explained the whole thing and, you know, and, and you know, he, they said to him, well, what's your plan? He goes, well, uh, I'm trusting the disciples down there. And they went, you're trusting them? We've been watching these guys for the past three years. This is your plan that you've entrusted this gospel going forth to the rest of the earth on them? And he went, yeah, I don't have a plan B. This is it. Guess what, church? You're plan A. There is no plan B. He's not going to send somebody else to your relatives. He's not going to send somebody else on your job. He's not going to send somebody else to your friends. He's going to send you. At least, at minimum, he's going to cause you to pray for those individuals so that when somebody comes across their path, they'll be open to receive. It's this important. I'm asking you this question again. Are you spiritually dead or are you spiritually alive? Have you experienced spiritual resurrection, or are you still in that state where your spirit is not connected to God? 
Don't make the mistake to think that because your conduct may have changed. Don't make the mistake because you might have changed your behavior that does not equate with is your spirit alive unto God. And again, let me say this again, please, because I know I'm going to be accused of this. I am not trying to undermine your security and your salvation. I'm not. What I'm trying to do is make sure that you are 100%, 100% convinced that your spirit is alive unto God. It's that important. I don't expect a lot of amens, that's okay. <laughs> so based on these scriptures, especially go read after the Apostle Paul, you'll see that he's always making a connection between Jesus' resurrection and the gospel. We can conclude that being saved involves being resurrected from spiritual death by, the, watch this now, listen to this word, by the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus. Again, like I said before, you and I should have went to the cross, not him. You and I deserve to go to hell, not him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And watch this now, because there's another hard word. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I, I know you didn't just use that word this morning on the way to church. It's an old word. But it's unfortunate that this word has lost its meaning throughout the, the, the centuries. Propitiation is, this is what it means. A sacrifice that takes the place of another. Let me give you an example. You remember in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve sin. They rebel against God. Sin comes into the earth. What's the very first, their very first reaction? They hide themselves, why? Because they were afraid, because they discovered they were naked. What was their first response to that reaction? It says, and they went and gathered fig leaves and sewed fig leaves together in order to cover themselves. Well, people are still doing the same thing. Fig leaves are religion. What, what did they do? They came up with their own plan to cover themselves. They didn't go to God and say, oh, we're sorry, we sinned. And now all of a sudden, we're, or, or, or something's wrong inside. Something changed. Just like you experienced something changing when you got born again, they experienced something changed when they went from spiritual life to spiritual death. They knew on the inside, something's wrong. Why? They had never experienced fear before. They didn't know what fear was. They'd never experienced it. Something changed. So what did they do? They ran to try to come up with their own solution. That is religion. That is religion. What did God do? Fig leaves were not good enough for God. Why? A fig leaf doesn't have any blood in it. Something has to die when somebody sins. Are you getting this? So what does he do? The Bible says that he, he, got, he took animal skins. Well, where did these animal skins come from? They didn't come from the mall. Something died. Animals died. I'll guarantee you, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out they were lambs, they were sheep. Why? Because we see that theme all throughout the scriptures. And I will guarantee you that God didn't take those skins after he killed those lambs and washed them and cured them with salt and tanned them. No, no. To prove the point, those animal skins would have still been dripping with blood, probably still warm, and he put them on them to show them this is what your sin caused. Somebody last night came up to me and said, Pastor, I have a theory. I don't know if it's accurate or whatever. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Because the Bible says that Adam was given responsibility to name all the animals. And this person suggested that those animals that died may have been very close to Adam, maybe his pets, maybe something that he got close to, right, to show 
Something had to die that's very precious. And Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist goes, behold the Lamb of God who came to do what? Take away the sin of this world. So Jesus comes on the scene just like those sheep were substitutes. Adam and Eve should have died. They should have died immediately. Now we know they eventually died because sickness came in. And sick, what is sickness? What is disease? It's just death in little increments. That's all it is. Sicknesses and diseases, you, when, when does a person stop dying? When you're born. You're born, you're, you're on the path, because someday you're gonna die. Something's gonna take you out. Jesus comes on the scene to reverse that whole thing, to reverse that spiritual principle. Are you, are you getting this? I hope you're understanding this. It is not about conduct. It is not about what, what, you, what change you've experienced on the inside. It is about this. Is your spirit alive to God or is your spirit still dead to God? That is going to be the determining factor. Are you getting this? Again, it is our responsibility to experience resurrection from the dead. Jesus confirmed this, that it's the only way to experience heaven. John chapter three, Gospel of John chapter three, verse one. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. In other words, he belonged to that specific denomination of Judaism. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus is like, all right, Nicodemus, let's cut through, all right? Uh, I almost said something. Uh, let's just cut through the, to the truth here. Uh, because, you know, he recognizes Nicodemus is trying to, you know, flatter him also. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are what? Born again. You can't see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man, honest question, just like when that person said to me, saved from what? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter. First he said no one can see. Now he says no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. You're born once naturally, you need to be born second time spiritually. Humans can produce only human life. That's reasonable, right? But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So I, I, in order for me to be, to enter into this earth I've got to be born of a woman, yes? yes? But for me to enter into heaven, I've got to be born by the Spirit. Yes. Are you catching this? Yes. All right. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, various Bible translations will say born again. Some will say born from above, born of the Spirit, born anew. They're all talking about the same thing, being raised from the dead spiritually. How do I become born again? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this as a result of that. How do I go from spiritual death to spiritual life? This means anyone has, belongs to Christ, he has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. I want to read to you from the Phillips translation. It's an alternate translation in the New Testament. Very accurate one. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. In other words, death is over with. Everything has become fresh and new. All this is God's doing, for he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
If any man be in Christ, the question, the honest question would be, how do I become in Christ? And listen to Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, saved from what? We answered that. Saved from spiritual death and brought into a place of spiritual life. What does it require? It requires you to make a declaration with your mouth what you already believe in your heart. Let me read that to you from the Phillips translation. This is awesome. Read, but please listen very closely. If you openly admit by your own mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and if you believe in your own heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Watch this now. For it is believing in the heart that makes a man righteous before God, and it is stating his belief with his own mouth. Look at this. That does what? Confirms his salvation. That is an awesome translation. So what do we say? It takes two things working together. What do you believe in your heart about Jesus? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sins? But even more importantly, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? And the Bible says he was risen from the dead for our justification. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then when you speak that with your mouth, when you declare it with your mouth, from a heart filled with faith, the Bible says you do what? You confirm, you're sealing the deal by what you're saying with your mouth. And that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna do. Are you listening to me? Now, here's a question I got for you, and it's gonna require a response. Having heard everything that I've taught today, understanding that you, before you come to Christ, are spiritually dead. That is a fact. And there's nothing for you to do to go to hell. You just continue what you're doing. Just continue. Just keep living. Because sooner or later you're going to die, and you're automatically, why? Because we're born spiritually dead. But there's something we can do to get off of that conveyor belt. There's something we can do to get out of that and change direction. And that is, Declare with your mouth what you believe about Jesus and what happens. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life like that. Those of you that are in this room today, I know you're here. You have never taken that step. I don't care if you've been coming to church for 10 years, but if you have never, or if you're here for the first time, you have never taken that step to declare with your mouth what you already believe in your heart. If you want that today, and you want to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, I'm asking you right now, with all the courage that you can muster, raise your hand, say, that's me, I want, to I want you to pray for me, Pastor. I want to go, thank you, I want to go, thank you, I want to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. I'm telling you right now, you're determining today where you're going to spend your destiny, where, where your eternal destination is going to be. It's not going to be based on how good of a person you were. It's not going to be based on how much money you gave away. It's not going to be based on how much, how much time you spent in church. It's going to be based on this. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you want to today, I'm willing to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Say, I want to receive him. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Be honest. Come on. Be honest. He said, why aren't you going to make me bow my head? So no, no, no. Be honest. 
Now let me ask another question for the next group of individuals. There are some of us in this room that have, we did this years ago, we did, we've received Christ, we, we consider ourselves Christians, but if you were really honest before God, you know, man, my life has just gotten off track. I've gotten distracted. I, I, my relationship with Jesus is not what it used to be. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. It means this today. Today, you're going to take this opportunity to get stirred up again in faith about Jesus and about salvation. And you're saying, I want that fire back again. I want that fire back again. I want to be devoted again. I want to, be, I want to have that urgency on the inside again. If that's you, raise your hand because I want to pray for you too. Thank you. Stand up, everybody. I'm going to lead you into prayer. I want you to make sure that you're praying this from a heart of faith today. And listen, listen, I pray to God that you're not one of them like those people that listen to Paul and Athens say, I'll come back next time. You're not guaranteed next time. I told this story in the last service. Two weeks ago when we were at Christmas service at the high school, it it reminded me of an Easter service that we had there a number of years ago. In that Easter service, I taught, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say he is? Because you see, your relationship with him is going to be determined by who you say he is. If you don't say he's your savior, then maybe he's just your teacher. Maybe he's just a miracle worker. But the Bible tells us that he is savior of all. He is Lord. Amen? So at the end of that service, I gave the invitation just like I did now and gave the opportunity for people to pray and receive Jesus. And dozens came to the front. Dozens ran down to the front. But in the inside, I know there's somebody else, there's somebody else, there's somebody else, there's somebody else. And it's like the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go on. Ten minutes. I've never given an altar call for ten minutes. That, that Sunday, ten minutes. And finally, I said, this is it. This is the last time. I can't keep going on like this. If that's you and you know you're supposed to be up here, get up here now. And this guy, about 40 years old, runs from the back of the auditorium, runs down to the front and receives Jesus. And two weeks later, drops dead. I don't say that to put fear in you. I say that for you to to understand and to raise your level of awareness. You can walk out of this place today and drop dead. You're not getting, you can get in a car accident, you get hit by a car, you you could, whatever. You and I are not guaranteed. So I'm gonna ask one more time for those of you that said I'll come back next time. One more time, along with everybody else that wants to be prayed for, if that's you, raise your hands right now, every single one of you. All right, put your hands down. Let's pray this together. Everybody say this together. Father, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to this earth, died on the cross in my place. It should have been me. I believe that my sins are now forgiven because of Jesus. I believe that you, God, Raise Jesus from the dead. And he's alive right now. And he hears me praying. Therefore, I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a child of God. Thank you that today I can say with all confidence that I have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. I am now born again. Born again. Child of God. On my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and celebrate.
Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.